Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another Get Genius episode. Today, I'm going to talk to a woman who actually started a new business at the age of 65 instead of doing what most people are thinking about doing, which is retiring. And I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs we have that continue to work in those later years, if you will, and don't really have any plans of retiring. But What I found so fascinating about our guest today is that she started a new business at the age of 65. Her name is Sandra Scheinbaum, and she's the CEO and founder of the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, which is an institute for functional medicine collaboration that is the global leader in functional medicine health coaching. She was a licensed clinical psychologist for over 35 years, specializing in blending mind-body medicine with positive psychology. She had established a clinic for children and adults with attention deficit disorders and ran a clinic for training panic and anxiety. And she conducted one of the first controlled studies of neurofeedback for the treatment of ADD. We didn't, though, get into all of that, which is super intriguing. And you can find more information about that from Sandra on her website. However, I really, really wanted to pick her brain and go into the idea of starting a business and actually executing it at the age of 65. What she knew in regards to business was not so much. She wasn't this big expert in in business. And it's kind of funny, you'll, you'll hear her talk about that, what she did know and what she's done to educate herself and delegate the things that she might not be an expert in and actually focus on the things that she is. There's so many good things that we talk about in terms of how she's built her business, how she's grown her team, how she keeps a team that is primarily working in remote locations, how she keeps them together and really united and connected. We talk about how to take care of yourself, of course, balance that work and and self-care. And what about taking a risk? Like how it's, I think it's really easy to talk about when you've heard somebody who succeeded at overcoming, you know, maybe a fear or what if I fail type thinking and actually taking a risk. It's, it's one thing to hear when they've become successful at it. It's another to be in that position of I'm ready to take that risk and I just, I need that extra push. <laughs> what, what's going to what's gonna bring me there? And Sandra talks about that, how you can leverage your character strength and how to find out what that character strength is in order to do really well in your business. There's so many things that we touch on and Sandra's just awesome. And I'm super excited that we get to speak with her. She's also a wonderful, fabulous client of ours. Hopefully we'll have some videos to share with this interview and blog post. Should it be ready by the time this airs? In any case, enjoy the interview. There's so many golden nuggets. Hello, Sandra, and thank you so much for speaking with me today. Great to be here. Excited about talking to you. You have such an inspiring story because you actually decided to start a new business at 65 instead of doing what most people do, which is think about retirement. 
Exactly. So I knew that retirement wasn't for me, basically, because I just love learning. I love being active. And I didn't want to be active by playing golf or just you know, taking yoga classes, which I do uh, right now. I love yoga, I work out every day, but I didn't want just to work out and have lunch with friends. And I don't play cards. So <laughs> I don't like canasta and mahjong. And, and uh, most of my friends do. And that's what they're doing. They're retiring after successful careers. And they're enjoying being with each other and playing cards. And um, I was always very restless and always on to the next thing. And I always loved challenges and the bigger, the better. And so I decided I could have retired as a psychologist. I had a successful career for about 40 years, a private practice as a clinical psychologist. Uh, so I was just inspired to go further. How could I have a bigger impact? Right, exactly. Was there a moment that you remember saying, you know what, this is what I'm going to do? Or had you been thinking about it for years prior? Well, as my career as a psychologist, uh, I felt it was time to wind that down. Initially, I was seeing people one-on-one, and I was always very interested in mind-body medicine and nutrition and positive psychology before it had a name, because I started in this field way back in the early 80s. And I had gradually then started to lead groups. I was going out into the community. I was giving talks. And luckily, some of the ideas that I had were failures. They didn't work really well. For example, I thought I would go big with a local TV station. Uh, It was Feed Your Mind Wellness with Dr. Sandy. And I was doing interviews and I thought, well, this is, we had, um, this was a local cable access show. So not a lot of viewers. I think the meetings for the school board got more viewers than my show did. But other suburbs picked it up and I thought, oh, great. You know, this is, I really like doing this. And luckily, uh, you know, I just saw the writing on the wall, like this is not going to work. And so I thought, well, what else? And uh, for a while, it was corporate wellness, going into corporations in my area and giving talks and workshops. At the time, what really triggered this was my training in functional medicine. So I was the only psychologist that went through the first graduating class to be certified as an IFM, Institute for Functional Medicine, practitioner. But as a psychologist, my scope of practice, my license doesn't allow me to prescribe supplements, to order labs. But I thought, you know, what else can I do? And I always loved teaching. And so I just remember the day when I just thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could just put together all of the things that I had trained in, that I had helped my clients through mind-body medicine, positive psychology, psychology of eating. What if I put that together with the functional medicine principles and we started to train health coaches? And then I just had this crazy idea, like what if I pitched this to the Institute for Functional Medicine? Because they train doctors, they don't train health 
health coaches. And so this was about uh, 2014. I decided, okay, why not take a risk? And so I pitched that idea along with our co-founder, Elise Wagner, and uh, we went to a leadership meeting that they had and pitched our idea. And they liked the idea. They had been wanting to start a health coach program for some time, but the right people didn't come along to implement that. And so it was a good match. You obviously had this passion, this great interest. You wanted to make a difference, but then there's the whole business side of it. Did you have any experience in running a business before starting a business? Like how did that all evolve? Cause that's a big undertaking. Absolutely. So we signed the contract with IFM and then it was like, oh, we have to build this school. We have to create it. And I was focused always on the the curriculum as an academic. I taught at university and I that was my zone. That was my safe place to go and to create the content, decide, okay, who's going to teach this? What are the learning objectives? That part was simple. But the only business experience I had was the brief period of time back in the early 90s when I got together. It was my idea to connect with a few psychiatrists and we started a group practice. So the only experience I had was that failure. Um, I had been managing the practice as a psychiatrist. We had other psychologists and social workers who were working for us, and it just did not go well. And uh, managing the person at the front desk, all of that was really stressful. And so that business fell apart. So that was my only experience. I had zero experience. When I tell you how little I knew about business, that every time I had to think, okay, what's the difference between a gross and net profit? (laughs) I mean, it was just real basic stuff like business for dummies. But fortunately, I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to go back and get an MBA. I'm not going to go take traditional business courses. Where can I learn? And it was by having mentors, by joining mastermind groups. I connected with JJ Virgin and joined her mastermind group and Joe Polish's Genius Network and other groups where there are other entrepreneurs and you get advice, you get support. So that was how I learned. And then having a team in place that they are so awesome. And many of them, probably most of them, are graduates. So they stay on because they want to work on our team. Uh, So that has been great to just trust people that we hire that can lead and implement what I create. And, and, you know, I'm the visionary. And so being able to trust people on my team is so important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And And I love that you are stressing the being part of business mastermind groups and working with business coaches, because that's just, as you know, even if you have been in business or an entrepreneur for most of your career, you still need that because there's so much that you don't know. You're just constantly learning from other people. And like you said, from, from other people's failures, those are the best lessons. Now, is most of your team remote? Yes, I'm in the Chicago area and my co-founder Elise is as well. And we have some people working in this area. We actually have a a co-working space in the city uh, that um, some people of our team use, but it's, uh, that's just the majority of people who work on our team. Others are all over and it's global. So we have a lot of students who come 
from around the world. And, and we have the way our school is set up, we have course facilitators who work very closely with small groups of students. And so a lot of those people are all over. We have a marvelous person in Saudi Arabia, for example. That's awesome. So, you know, we have both. We have a team that's in our offices, but then we also work with so many people that are remote. I'd love to hear, you know, I think that's becoming so common. Often people, that's just where they start. Everybody's remote. They don't even have, you know, it's co-working spaces now. It's Zoom meetings, Skype. What is your advice or what things have you learned in terms of managing a large remote team? So we come together and we use Slack channel a lot and we have a general channel and we have an accountability channel where we communicate about things besides work. So if somebody is setting an intention to increase their number of days that they're going to do yoga or meditate or they post pictures of uh, an important event in their lives, their kids, Elise is always uh, posting her baby. Oh, she's walking. It feels great to share those kinds of experiences. And we also have meetings with webcam. And I think that makes a huge difference. So it feels like we're actually together when you see somebody. So we don't try and burden people with too many meetings. What I do that really helps is having the sense. So when I like if I wake up, I will feel from my heart, a closeness and warmth to everybody on my team. It's like I'm sending out warmth and positivity and, and virtual hugs and good vibes. So that's what I do to feel like we're all connected. And then all the new ways of communicating. And I, I think having like a Zoom meeting has been great because we all get together. And it feels like when you connect with somebody in that way, it's almost like you're, you're live. That's such a great takeaway. I love the Slack where it has, it's nothing to do with work or the business. It's really just about everyone on a personal level and connecting because that is so huge. It's hard to keep, I would imagine, super hard to keep people aligned with a mission if they're not really being seen as just, you know, a person outside of that. Absolutely. And what we do, uh, our a big part of our course is positive psychology, which is focusing on what's right with you, not what's wrong with you. And our core values as a team are based upon the character strengths that are a key part of positive psychology. So things like hope and gratitude and kindness and love and forgiveness and honesty. And so the values that we have for everybody on our team matches that. So so we hire, I've heard wonderful advice was to hire on attitude, not skills, because skills can be taught. Um, but it's those core strengths, those values that we find are just so important. And, and that's as leaders on our team, we really emphasize to them the importance of that to express those values. It's so wonderful to focus on on those positive things, right? But like you said earlier, there's times where you had failures, that's hard to do when you're experiencing, you know, something not going the way that you hoped. So can you talk to us about what one of those biggest failures was and what you learned from that? From my past careers, 
the failures really built resiliency. So one of the biggest failures that I had in the 70s, so we're going way back in time, I was a trader, uh, believe it or not, at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I was one of those people, if you ever saw pictures of the commodities pits, uh, I was there, I was trading in the pits. So different than what you do today. (laughs) Yes. I was always thought I was kind of ADD, restless. I had been a special education teacher and then was easily bored and thought, okay, what else can I do? And so I then became a trader and that was fortunately very short lived. But what I later came to realize was that I was showing courage and creativity and going back to character strengths. I was using those to also you know, see the, the traits that I always thought were negative, like, oh, I'm getting bored easily. I make a lot of mistakes, but that's really zest. It's enthusiasm. And so relabeling. So failures, I have learned to relabel. So I'm thankful that I so-called busted out, that was what we call people who didn't last long at the commodities exchange. So I felt then blessed that that failure led me to go back and get my PhD in psychology and then go on to where I am today, which is having this much greater mission to help people on their wellness journey by training health coaches around the world. It was all kind of led to this stage of my life where I'm fulfilling my meaning and purpose. For somebody who is, you know, thinking about whether they're in a business now and there's like a huge leap that they have to take or somebody who might be in a similar situation that you are in where it's like, you know, I want to start a business. I have big dreams, but the fear of the failure, the fear of it not working out can seem like a really huge risk, especially if you're not 30, Somebody listening to you can say, well, sure, it's all working out for you, but I'm really scared right now. That's a really huge risk. Yeah, absolutely. So I was fortunate to have trained with the great founder of cognitive behavior therapy, Albert Ellis. And he wrote a wonderful book. I used to give it to my patients as a psychologist, How to Stubbornly Refuse to Make Yourself Miserable About Anything. (laughs) And the, the premise, the approach of cognitive behavior therapy was you actually you identify a what if and you change it to so what if. So you picture the worst happening. So okay, what if you know take my life savings, I start this business and it fails. Okay, can you imagine coping with it? Can you imagine still being alive? And what would that look like? And so I did that a lot. And it was a great exercise. So, okay, what if we get no students? What if we run out of money? You know, what if we're sued? I mean, you could just, it's endless, the amount of things that you could think about to worry about. So you say, okay, if that happens, well, sometimes you could say, well, I've been there before. I had started this group practice that was uh, with these psychiatrists and we had a, a huge office and a lot of people working for us in it. It failed. We went bankrupt and it was very tough, but only for a small period of time. 
you know, it was rougher, you know, even uh, beyond a year, I was already off to other things. And even during that time when I was in the worst of it, I was still feeling joy. I was still, I had my children, they were little at the time, I would love being with them. I have my husband, I have friends, uh, I'm healthy. So we can look at that and say, well, we're catastrophizing and saying, oh, no, the sky is falling, it's the end of the world if we fail in this. So you can say, okay, well, life goes on. How can my life even be better? And so I always felt as when I was, I used to do this exercise um, as a psychologist, well, what if I didn't have any more uh, people referred to me? What if I had no patients to see? What could I do? And I said, okay, well, I would really enjoy just having a few people over to my house. And at that time, macrobiotics would be, I could teach cooking in my kitchen. And um, I would really enjoy that. Well, someone would say, well, but you'd have no money. It would be financially a disaster. Well, then you could go there. So what? So what if that happened? Have you ever known somebody who has had a reversal of fortune and had growth because of that. Maybe they discovered what was truly meaningful in life and have found even more joy and satisfaction and meaning and purpose. That's so true. I love that. And I think by doing that in your brain, by making it okay and going, okay, here's the worst case scenario, here's what might happen and realizing that everything will be okay. It's like you're able to, you are able to operate differently. Exactly. Because when you go through that process of, okay, so what if this is, this happens, I can picture myself dealing with it. It won't be again. It's not like, it's not life threatening. And then that what that does is creates more of a parasympathetic state in your body. So you're more at ease. And what does that mean? That means you could think more clearly so you can do the problem solving and the planning that are necessary to launch a successful business. Right. Because often decisions you make when you're in a chaotic anxiety state aren't the right ones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You talk about something how about entrepreneurs leveraging their character strengths to thrive. Can you talk about what you mean by that? Maybe give us an example. Sure. So character strengths are what the backbone of well-being and this came about through years of research in the 90s. Martin Seligman, Chris Peterson, they, a number of others, dived into all the literature from psychology, religions, philosophies, and they came and they came up with these 24 essential traits. And they're all ages across the lifespan, uh, globally. Uh, we all have these 24 traits. So you might be wondering, well, what are they? How do I find out? There's a nonprofit research institution called VIA Institute. That's V-I-A. And you can go to viacharacter.org and you can take this free survey. It's a little test and you could find out. And we have strengths that are signature strengths. And what that means is that's what makes us us. So for me, my top strengths are zest, which is kind of this love of life and being really passionate about things. And another top strength that I have is love of learning. I'm always you know, rolling in more courses. And throughout my life, that was key. And uh, appreciation of beauty and excellence. So I'm always 
focusing on, which is what kind of makes me a perfectionist, but want to have things really appreciate when something is well done or something is particularly beautiful um, or aesthetically pleasing. So you can find out what these signature strengths are. And most entrepreneurs tend to have those uh, strengths at the top that are you know, often associated with ADD. Often they were labeled as ADD, restlessness, thinking outside of the box. So creativity is a character strength. Again, zest is often confused. People think there's something wrong with them when it's really a positive trait. Right, exactly. So getting a little bit more into those uncomfortable questions about running a business. Did you ever have, because I feel like, you know, most of us have that feeling when you are, you know, founder, CEO, the person that's running the business, have you ever felt, wow, I am just not qualified for this area of my business? All the time. And that's very common. It's the imposter syndrome. And I remember years ago when I was getting my doctorate, one of our faculty members, she was Harvard trained. She was brilliant. And we were in a small group. We were all women there. And she said, how many of you think that uh, you've made it this far? You're getting your Ph.D., Uh, that someday someone's going to find out you don't really know much in in this field. (laughs) Everybody raised their hand and she said, yeah, I feel that way as well all the time. So we all, it's, it's a very common phenomenon. It's particularly common amongst women that, you know, we don't know enough or people that we're going to screw up. And it's a fear that, you know, we don't know what we're doing. And so I think it just takes often, you know, pulling back. And first of all, that could be even a character strength known as humility, recognizing we don't have all the answers mm-hmm. and going to others, seeking someone who can be your mentor, a guide, uh, seeking the advice of people on your team, because we don't have to know it all or do everything ourselves. So it's not all bad to have that experience because the opposite would be very destructive if you think, oh, I'm great, I know everything, and therefore I'm not going to seek advice or um, look at other opinions or learn more. So I think it can be turned around and used in a positive way. Have you ever felt like, wow, I've been doing something this way for so long in my business, and then suddenly somebody comes in, whether it's a business coach, business you know, mastermind group, and have changed that and it actually was just a tremendous shift in your whole business. You thought it was the right way before, and then it's like, oh, wow, I really should be doing it this way. Yeah, uh, a big insight, and I think this is common amongst entrepreneurs, CEOs. I have so many ideas, and I get really (laughs) excited about the idea stage. Like, oh, let's do this. And, you know, so I'll be taking a walk, and this idea will occur to me, and, oh, let's start this, or let's collaborate with this um, organization. And then I bring it to my team, and fortunately, I now have somebody who's going to be our COO, and she is the one who is, like, pulling the reins and saying, I don't think we have the team to implement this, or this is going to detract from, you know, we're going to pull resources from this other area, and we have to keep our attention here. And that was a huge lesson. So I'm in a group where we do 90-day plans, and I looked at my old 90-day plan that was filled with so much stuff, I ran out of space on the paper, writing it down, (laughs) so many, so many new things I was going to do and finish in 90 days. And then I looked at it like, 
90 days later. So like, oh, we didn't do any of this. Like it, we're, <laughs> we're like still on the first one. And that's a good thing that I had that realization because my next 90 day plan was not to have basically keep it blank, like just keep implementing what we're already doing and really just slow down. Right. And you're putting so much more focus and energy into that one thing where it can really blossom instead of, you know, having your energy spread across so many different ideas that aren't getting enough attention to actually become anything. Absolutely. Because for me, that's the fun part. That's the creativity, uh, the visionary coming up with these great ideas. But some of them, you know, are just going to have to be uh, on the back burner for maybe all the, you know, maybe forever. Maybe they will just go away. Yeah. You know, and you never know. And, you know, in Genius Network, you know, there's the exercise where you can, you know, here's the not to do list or the at some, you know, some point later list and just writing it down makes you feel like, okay, it gives it some importance, even if it's not in a list that's going to be tackled for a long time or ever, at least it got written down. It's like, okay, you got your attention. Exactly. And sometimes I'll go back to those, like I have a dashboard, uh, and I'll look at it. And these were like all the new ideas. And it's just a running list of ideas that either I've come up with or others on the team. And half of them, I'll think, wow, like, why were we ever thinking about doing that? That doesn't yeah. sound so good anymore. Yeah, it's so funny that we've we've done that so many times. I look back and I keep all that. And look back and you go, wow, that was an idea. And some of them are ideas that you go, oh, wow, this was incredible. I'm so glad we executed on that one. Yeah, exactly. So one question I had was, as we're talking about finding, you know, those people, you have a COO now, as you grow, you realize where your focus needs to be and where you need to delegate. And a big question that I, you know, I'll ask a ton of people because it's huge When you're hiring, it's so critical that you're hiring a person that's going to bring to the team and not take away because a bad hire, as we all know, if you're an entrepreneur or business owner, you know that that can really wreck things for you. It can have a huge impact if if it's not the right person. What are the steps that you take to make sure that you're bringing somebody on the team that's really going to bring value? How do you go about hiring So we have been so fortunate to hire from within because we have people who started our course, they graduated, and often they've come from other walks of life. They have experience in marketing, and then they chose to switch careers and become a health coach, but they still have that initial training. So many of those we will contract with for like a specific project that might be like a small section of a marketing project, for example. And then they shine in in that space. And then they may say, well, I'd love to do more. And so we can then look at have that conversation about expanding their role. So we are also looking at really making sure that everybody in the in the space that their role matches who they are. So we have not had a lot of experience having to like write job descriptions and search um, for that right person. They've we've nurtured them from within and then they play a bigger role. The one thing that we have made a lot of mistakes is somebody who has come to us and as the um, just the, like the rainmaker, the that they have, um, they're going to be our consultant, and they charge a lot of money um, to put together, for example, maybe like a marketing campaign or um, another area where they are monthly contracting, and then we think, well, they don't, they don't get us. 
you know, they don't have our voice. They don't. Um, and so we've had to pull back. So we're much more cautious now about bringing on these people that look so great on paper. And maybe they've even worked really well with another company, but they just don't match who we are. So it tends to be more um, organically. You know, someone will say, oh, I have a friend who's um, or uh, may I refer somebody to you? And then they just they just match. And, and I um, originally I was doing the hiring myself. And it was just um, um, I, I have to say it was like a gut feeling like I can really connect with this person. So rather than having any um, more formalized hiring, now others in our team have taken over that hiring process. That's awesome. I love that. And it's so great if you can find, like you said, within, because you have people that are that are actually living what your mission is, what your company mission is and what you stand by. Speaking of which, how do you yourself keep your mind and body in balance and and healthy with all that you're doing? Well, as we speak, I am standing on a treadmill desk. It's off now, or you'd hear the the pounding of walking. But, <laughs> I was going to um, say, I, don't I, I like to always be moving. So I have a ritual every morning. I start out with a yoga practice. I do headstands and shoulder stands and handstands. Uh, that's part of my yoga routine. So I I have that. That's pretty set. And then um, I just discovered um, locally there's a Pilates studio. Um, um, and I, it's called Club Pilates, and they do a whole variety of things with a reformer. So I'm uh, now really obsessed with <laughs> going uh, to take these classes. And then um, I also, uh, since I'm getting up there in years, I have to preserve uh, bone health. So I do some heavy weight training, just like, you know, 10 minutes in and out to exhaustion. So movement, exercise is key for me. I have to do that. Every single day, I take breaks. I have right now in my office. My office is like a gym. I also have the, the vibrational plate. Uh, Dave oh, Asker yes. loves this as well. So I'll get on that for five minutes. Uh, the treadmill desk is great because I just keep walking while I'm, sometimes I'll turn on some music and feel energized as I'm responding to emails. And then food. I really like to practice what we teach at, at FMCA. So focusing on making sure that my kitchen is well stocked and I like to cook. I don't have much time for that, but I will squeeze it in there whenever I can. And then being with family. I have two daughters and if they were calling right now, I would say we have to end this because <laughs> I, I never miss their calls, no matter how important it is. I'm always there. for it. So I, I, I nourish myself by being with them as well as with my husband. I love that. That's so wonderful. So it's pretty incredible to hear you know, all that you've done and in, at a, you know, you've had so many chapters in your life and it's so cool to hear and inspiring what you're doing today. And I'm just so grateful that you shared all of that with us. And I, I do want our listeners to learn more about your actual business, Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. And you can find out more at functionalmedicinecoaching.org. There's so many wonderful things that you're doing. And I'm just really excited that you it's, it's just so cool. It's just really so cool to, to see like, you know, all that you've, you've brought without having a business background and just really taking a passion of yours and all the history that you've had. And you've made something that's just so successful and just so life-changing for people. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Yes, you too. Thank you, Sandra, so much. 
Bye now. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests. 